0: Hey, what's going on, JD? Hey, how you doing? Doing well. So, welcome everybody to the uh the uh 2019 MLB Preview Show and also the 2019 NFL Offseason Show. I'm your host Laura Antonio. Uh today my my guest who is a part-time and weekly who's a part-time uh part-time contributor to our shows is uh JD, and uh, JD, we'll start off with the NFL preview show. No, sorry, we'll start off with the MLB preview show, and then we'll start off with, and then we'll end it with the uh, NFL offseason show. So with that being said, uh, let's start off with, before we talk about what's in store for the Dodgers and Red Sox heading into the 2019 season, get, let me get your reaction first on what your reaction was about Manny Machado signing with the Padres.
1: I'd, I'd say mixed reactions overall. I mean, as, as a Red Sox fan, I'm, I'm kind of sad he's going out there because he's a fun guy to play against. And I'd like to have the opportunity to beat him more than once every three years because, you know, Manny Machado's rivalry with the Red Sox goes without question. But uh, I think from his perspective, the most frustrating part is that you waited five months and had all this drama dragged out and you end up getting exactly what you wanted. Ten years, three hundred million. You got it from a team like the Padres who, as we've talked about in previous episodes, is not a team that's going to compete right now, but they're a team that's similar to the White Sox, another team that was going in all in for Manny Machado, in that they're not going to compete right now. But if you're signing this kid for 10 years, you're getting him from his age 26 season to his age 35 season or or something roughly like that. This is a deal for him and for the team for the future. Yeah, they're going to struggle. This is probably going to put butts in seats for the next year or two while they're they're still building, but I think going out and getting a free agent, yeah, last year they went out and got Hosmer, but I don't think that really moved the needle for anybody, especially fans in San Diego. Hosmer is a quality player, but Manny Machado, regardless of my feelings for him, is a phenomenal ball player, probably top 10 baseball player in the league. He's just entering his prime, and seems like he's going to be Manning the hot corner in San Diego for the next decade. And like I said, while they may not finish above 500 this year, as far as the future goes, they could be an exciting team. The Padres could be
0: an exciting team. And uh, I think it's going to bode well for uh, a guy that I predicted that we've talked about before, who's going to be the opening day starting shortstop for the San Diego Padres is Fernando Tatis Jr.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, it's good that they got Manny to agree to, to play third base so that Tatis can be the shortstop because the other option would have been flipping the two. And where Tatis is a natural shortstop, I know Manny is too, but Manny already has the experience at third base. And he is such a phenomenal defender there that you'd be hard-pressed to find maybe in three or four years a better left side of the infield than those two.
0: Absolutely. And, and I do believe that. I've talked about it <coughs> in previous episodes that I believe that Fernando Tatis Jr. will win the National League Rookie of the Year, and on the American League side, uh, as we'll get to our official predictions of the MLB awards in just a in just in just a little bit. Um, I had Vladimir Guerrero Jr. winning it unanimously.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, he he's another exciting guy to watch this coming season.
0: Yeah, and especially in spring training. And uh, with that being said. Um, We also talked about Bryce Harper and I heard a developing story that the Dodgers were back in the mix to get Bryce Harper. It doesn't mean that Dodgers will necessarily sign Bryce Harper. I don't see Bryce Harper being a Dodger. I see Bryce Harper being a Philadelphia Philly because I think that's a foregone conclusion.
1: I agree. I I think it's similar to the Machado situation. Obviously you had a surprise team jump in at the last minute with Machado going to the Padres but overall it just seems like Harper's been tied to the Phillies for so long it's such a natural fit and he he does move the needle at least a little bit there I know the talk died down when they signed a guy like Andrew McCutcheon it's like okay they're spending money in different areas but obviously you'd never pass up the opportunity to add a guy like Bryce Harper and he fits naturally right into right field there and really completes that team
0: Yeah, so you don't think Harper will end up being a Dodger because the Dodgers just offered him – were interested in signing him to a short-term deal, and that's unlikely because Bryce Harper wants a long-term deal.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's more the Dodgers just still trying to throw their hat in the ring. But overall, I think Bryce has just been in so much contact with the Phillies. They're a team that seems to be interested in offering him at least close to what he initially wanted. Um, So I think it's a good fit, and I I think it'll get done – I would hope someday this week
0: I say Harper to the Phillies should be done by either sometime today or sometime tomorrow.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I hope it, it gets done soon and we can just move into actually playing baseball.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I want to start playing baseball already. And uh, I know the giants had their offer with Harper, but I don't think Harper is going to want a short term deal. I think Bryce Harper is going to end up signing at least a 10 year deal with the Philadelphia Phillies.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's going to be 10 years. I think he's going to go to try to go for a little bit more average annual value than Machado did just to kind of one-up him and, and get the new richest contract in baseball. But overall, I think it's a good fit. I don't see the Giants offer materializing either. If If you're saying those are both short-term deals, the Giants and the Dodgers, I don't think that's what Harper's looking for. And the Phillies are a similar situation to the Padres for Machado. Both these guys are investing in the future. The Phillies yeah, they were a year or two ahead of schedule last year and really jumped onto the scene and surprised everybody with their young core. But regardless, it's still an investment for these guys for three, four years down the line when you're going to be competing for championships.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So above all, expect Bryce Harper to be a Philadelphia Philly. And now that being said, now that we kind of got those thoughts out of the way, um, let's talk about what's in store for the Dodgers and the Red Sox heading into the 2019 season. For the Dodgers, the Dodgers, Let's talk about what their big offseason move was. They added A.J. Pollock. And what did you think about that signing for the Dodgers?
1: I think Pollock's a phenomenal player. He's very underrated. It it was a surprise move, in my opinion, when we were talking the beginning of the offseason with all the different outfielders they had, almost having too many that they go out and get another outfielder in Pollock. And obviously they have the trade with the Reds, getting rid of Puig and Kemp. But I know Pollock's a year or two off of a an injury he's coming into his age 31 season but I think he's a great player he's a good caliber defender and if you look at his stats from previous seasons he's tailed off batting average wise but he's had a couple seasons over 300 can hit for a little bit of power 21 home runs last season and just an overall quality player it it's not a move that I expected coming into the offseason but it's a move that I like I didn't expect the Dodgers to get AJ Pollock but
0: I knew that AJ Pollock likes the NL West. I thought he was going to go to the Braves, but I think with him being a Dodgers, that means when the Dodgers got AJ Pollock, that means the door is closed for the Dodgers to get Bryce Harper. Now that we have, now that the Dodgers have AJ Pollock,
1: yeah, that that is true. That um, could close the door on that. And I, again, I I just think the Dodgers are throwing their hat in the ring on Harper just to throw it in there. I don't think there's serious interest, and I think the Dodgers know that they're not going to be able to offer. Bryce Harper, what he is looking for and that there's going to be a team like the Phillies who are going to match that and then some maybe.
0: So I think what, it, what Dave Roberts was saying about how the outfield works, he expects A.J. Pollock to be in center field most of the time and then in right field would be Cody Bellinger, who I expect to have a, a bounce-back season after a sophomore slump last year.
1: Yeah, I, I like that trio outfields. You got Pollock, you got Bellinger, and I'm assuming the third guy would be Peterson. No, the
0: left fielder would be Alex Verdugo. I don't, I don't expect Jock Peterson to be a starting outfielder because Jock Peterson is a one-dimensional player.
1: Mm-hmm. No, Alex Verdugo,
0: he, he is better hitting for contact. A guy doesn't, doesn't rely on the home runs. Jock Peterson's a guy that, a lot, that always relies on the home runs. With Alex Verdugo that we've talked about in the past, he's a he's guy that's going to be in contention for rookie of the year in the National League this year and I expect him to start in the left field.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely. It's an interesting dynamic, and you still see that logjam of players in the outfield there for the Dodgers even after making that trade, getting rid of Puig and Kemp. You, you guys have phenomenal backups, whether it's a guy like Peterson or Hernandez out there. So good depth is something that you can never have enough of, and I, I think the Dodgers have done a good job establishing a, a deep roster of players.
0: Yeah, and another offseason – addition that they got was that we talked about this in the past. They told me about this guy. He's an LA kid and that's former Boston Red Sox Joe Kelly, now that he's a World Series champion with the Red Sox last year. Now he's a member of the Dodgers. Do you think Joe Kelly's gonna be a great piece to this Dodgers bullpen?
1: I think so. He's a good addition. Obviously the the limited glimpse I got to see of the Dodgers last season was when they were struggling their bullpen was struggling in the World Series against the Red Sox and the Red Sox bullpen was, was dominating all throughout the postseason. But from for Kelly, I think it's a phenomenal pickup for the Dodgers. I, I love Joe Kelly. He he seems like one of the, the nicest guys around and one of the best guys to have in a clubhouse. From an on-field perspective, sometimes he can be frustratingly inconsistent, but he has amazing stuff, and I think it's a good deal. He can be a good eighth-inning guy to get the ball to Kenley Jansen.
0: That's what I expect to see out of Joe Kelly. Be the eighth inning guy for the Dodgers to give the ball to Kenley Jansen. Other Another offseason move that was very good for the Dodgers was a guy that they were also familiar with back in the day, and that was adding Russell Martin back to the Dodgers and a guy that's a bridge catcher for Will Smith and Keever Ruiz. Do you think Russell Martin – you've seen Russell Martin play for the Blue Jays, but do you think Russell Martin is is a good move for him for – did you think the Dodgers made a good move to trade for Russell Martin?
1: Um. I I mean, he's getting up there in age, and he didn't really have a fit with the Blue Jays declining in his career and the Blue Jays really going into embracing the youth movement. So I think it was a good move for the Blue Jays to trade him away. Getting Martin from Blue Jays, I think it's good from the Dodgers' perspective in that he can be a temporary guy who plays maybe three or four times a week while those young catchers are getting ready. I don't think... It's a, a permanent fix or even a fix that lasts more than a month or two for the Dodgers, but I I do like the the move from the perspective of giving them depth, waiting for those young catchers to get ready and fully big league acclimated because I know you've talked about in the past the Dodgers do have some good catchers coming up in the system.
0: Yeah, and Martin is a veteran, a guy that's 36. I saw him play this past weekend when the Dodgers played against the Angels and the White Sox and the Dodgers when I saw them they looked really good they they're a team that didn't rely on the home run ball a lot and uh, I think they're a team that's really improved on hitting small ball and just hitting for average instead of for the home run ball all the time
1: yeah definitely and I mean from as being a Red Sox fan you love the ability to get on base the Red Sox under Alex been that team that grinds out at bats and works for those hits I know you have Mookie and JD who can mash the ball but they really were a team that didn't win with the long ball and I I think there's something to be said about getting those hits and getting guys on base
0: yeah the Dodgers I think so far have really improved on that and I think they're going to continue to work on that during those spring training games and uh, with that being said I'll tell you my breakout stars on the Dodgers in 2019 so one of them is Alex Verdugo the other is Walker Buehler and the other is Julio Urias
1: okay Uh, all good players I love Walker Buehler I think he's going to be a great one or two starter in this league for a long time. Seeing what he did against the Red Sox in that game, game three, I believe it was that I know it went late into the night and everyone kind of forgot about it, but he shut down those bats and really did a phenomenal job. So I think uh, Dodgers do have some good young pieces led by him pretty much. And for me, from Red Sox perspective, some of my breakout players, one is Devers. I know he burst onto the scene last year, but I expect him to take that next step forward this year and boost the average a little bit and hit for more of that power, become the everyday third baseman that people have been waiting for him to become, Uh, maybe get near 25, 30 home runs, had 21 last year. And then as far as the young guy, I know we've talked about him in the past, but Michael Chavis, he's the Sox top prospect. And so far in two spring training games, he's hit two three-run home runs. So good start for this guy. I don't know how much playing time he's going to get, especially with, the current lineup that the Red Sox have. But young guys like Chavis and Cassis and Bobby Dahlbeck are all guys I could see impacting this team in little ways in 2019 and then in 2020 maybe pushing to become full-time starters. Yeah,
0: now with that being said, we kind of talked about what the biggest and dumbest offseason moves for the Dodgers and also to point out for the Dodgers, their dumbest offseason move was trading away Yasiel Puig and Matt Cam and also losing Osmani Grandal
1: to the Milwaukee Brewers. <laughs> I thought, I'm not sure if the Dodgers trade away the right players, but I think, especially after the Pollock deal, but even before that, you needed to trade away some of those outfielders. And I don't know who you personally would have traded away. I don't know if it was the right move to get rid of Kemp and Puig, but they definitely needed to clear that logjam out.
0: Yeah, they needed to clear the logjam out for the Dodgers when it comes to their outfield situation. And um, I, I also think that, I also agree with the Reds, the breakout players for the Boston Red Sox, like Michael Chavis is a guy that you're very high on. I, I, I agree with Rafael Devers. He kind of had a, somewhat of a so-so year last year, but I see this guy getting up, bursting into the scene, and being a guy that's going to be a 20-30 to 30 home run type of guy.
1: Yeah, I think so for a long time. And while he did have his ups and downs at the plate, one area I think he really improved in last year that often goes overlooked is his defense. He'll still make some boneheaded plays, on simple ground balls right to him but he's showed expanded range he has a great arm so he has the potential to to be the third baseman of the future for this team and won't have to move over to first base or something I think they'll eventually try to move a guy like Chavis or Tristan Cassis over there one of the top prospects because they'll be blocked by Devers at third base and I think another thing with Devers is people forget to realize this this kid's like he was 21 years old last year a year ago he was playing in double a ball and now he's coming up and expecting to be the everyday producing third baseman for the number one team in baseball. And he, he just couldn't do that every day. So I think people had inflated expectations of him last year, myself included. And that's why people think he fell short of expectations. I thought it was a good growth year for him. And this year is the year I think he finally puts everything together.
0: I think he will too. And, uh, With Chavis, do you see Michael Chavis being the opening day starter at first base?
1: No, I I don't see that unless he continues to hit a home run every single day in, in spring. But I think if you're the Red Sox, you have Mitch Moreland and Pierce. That platoon worked so well last year. Pierce is a World Series hero. Moreland is a great everyday first baseman, gold glove caliber, can give you the long ball every once in a while. So I highly doubt that Chavis will be on the opening day roster. But I would be fairly confident Moreland and Pierce both have one year left on their deal. So I could see Chavis definitely being the opening day starter at first base in 2020 if he continues to progress like he has been. I just don't see him following the track that Devers and Benatendi have of being rushed up to the majors just because this Red Sox team doesn't have a need like they did when they called up Benatendi and Devers. And what about
0: guys like you mentioned, like Tristan Casas?
1: I I think they're in a similar situation, a little even farther off than Chavis. Um, You look at the Red Sox top three prospects are Michael Chavis, Tristan Cassis, and Bobby Dahlbeck. All are third basemen. All are blocked by a 21-year-old third baseman in Rafael Devers, so they're going to have to find positions for these guys. I think if you look at it, Chavis is the best of the bunch right now and the most polished. Cassis was a first-round pick last year, so I think – he's still a couple years away from making the big leagues. They could transition him to maybe uh, J.D. Martinez role as a once-in-a-while corner outfielder, maybe a DH in four or five years once J.D. Um, leaves. And Dahlbeck, I've heard that the Red Sox may try to transition him to second base for the post-Dustin Pedroia phase of Red Sox history. But overall, I think they're going to need to – find some ways to maneuver these guys around. I don't think you're going to need to see much of it this year. Uh, Dahlbeck and Chavis, more so than Cassis, could have a chance to impact the roster this year, particularly in August and September as injury call-ups. And they'll be exciting guys to see, but I just don't think there's really a need for them on the roster right now. I think Dahlbeck,
0: like what you said, could transition into Justin Pedroia's old role at second base when Justin Pedroia retires. And also talk about some pitching prospects like Jay Groom, Brian Maida. Tanner Hoke. So out of those pitching groups, who do you think is going to be a starting pitcher out of this pitching prospect group for the Red Sox?
1: So Jay Groom's fallen off a little bit lately, but I mean, the kid is a phenomenal talent coming out of the draft. So I think he has the highest ceiling of all these guys. You look at guys like Hook and Mata. They, I think they could be quality three, four starters. An interesting case is uh, Darwin's and Hernandez. He's really shot up Red Sox prospect boards and it it'll be interesting to see where he fits into this rotation the Red Sox historically have been terrible at drafting and developing pitchers so I'm a little concerned as to how that's going to work out but one guy I know I've talked to you about before who's a little further down but that's just more because of the position he plays um is Durbin Feltman the Red Sox drafted him out of TCU last year in the third round he's a righty who was a closer at TCU one of the best closers in college baseball history. And he was billed as one of the most major league ready prospects in the draft. He's probably ready to come up at some point this year, look for him to join the bullpen and make an impact just because the bullpen may be a need for the Red Sox this year. And it, it, it's going to be a tough transition without Kimbrell and Kelly, no doubt about it, despite some of the guys like Barnes and Brazier that they have in the bullpen. So hopefully young guys like Feldman, Feltman, and maybe even some of these, not Groom because he's more of a starter, but Hook and Mata and Hernandez could potentially become relievers too. So give them a shot at certain times during the season.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're going to get to the bullpen right now for the Red Sox. So I do see them losing Craig Kimbrell, and I do think Craig Kimbrell is going to the Phillies. And who I see being the closer of the Boston Red Sox now is Matt Barnes.
1: I agree. If Kimbrell does leave, which, I mean, it's looking more and more like it every day, and the Red Sox have come out and said at least three times more explicitly each time that they're not going to spend money on a closer. I, the one concession I'll make is I could see Kimbrel coming back to Boston on maybe a one-year deal for maybe like $10 million if he wants to just sign a deal and test the market next year when it's not so flooded with closers. The one move from Kimbrel's perspective, and I think it's just to gain leverage, that I don't like is that he's considering sitting out the year because he's not getting an offer that he feels is worthy of what he's worth. But if you look at it, he's getting offers right now. I don't know if he's going to get better offers next year, being a 32 year old who hasn't pitched in 18 months. So, I mean, that's a gamble he's got to be willing to take. And he may also be saying that to a team like the Red Sox saying, I'm willing to sit out this year, but you can come calling me in April when your bullpen falls apart and you realize you need me and, maybe overpay for me so it, that'll be an interesting story to follow the first month of the season but i do think Kimbrel could end up in a place like philadelphia maybe even atlanta i don't think any team would be wise to give him a five six year deal like he's asking for but for the right price three four years maybe he, he is arguably one of the best closers in baseball history so he'd be a great guy a great addition to the team but the red sox bullpen it it's going to be a work in progress. All the I don't want to kid myself and think that each of these guys are going to repeat the amazing performance that they had last year because they don't have the track record of proven success over multiple seasons. But if you look at it, you got a guy like Matt Barnes, who you mentioned, who I think will be the closer. They try out Ryan Brazier as the eighth inning guy, maybe. You have to hope guys like Tyler Thornburg, another year removed from his thoracic outlet syndrome surgery, is able to come back and perform and the red sox did also get a pitcher his name is eluding me right now but he pitched yesterday for the red sox in relief and struck out the side they got him from san diego so he could be a guy to keep an eye on as a potential reliever he's not a high profile reliever by any means but um any anybody helps at this point (laughs)
0: Yeah, I think who I think will be the future closer of the Boston Red Sox is Durbin Feltman.
1: Yes, I th- I think so. I think he'd fit right in and it's just a tough transition right now. And I think that's why the Red Sox don't want to sign Kimbrough for six years because that would just be a bad investment. But if they can get a stopgap for one or two years or maybe one, maybe one year even, and Feltman can come up by July this year and it becomes a revelation as a closer, i I think he will be the closer of the future. I'm just nervous about putting my trust in him, even though they say he's big league ready to come up right now and just be lights out for a World Series contender as a closer. But at the same time, the Red Sox just have such a high payroll. I think it's smart to to cut salary and going out and getting a reliever or signing someone who's still left in April could be an option for this team.
0: Yeah, and let's address the catcher's position now. I think who's going to be eliminated out of that group is Blake Swihart. I think I expect Christian Vasquez to be the starting catcher for the Red Sox, and I see Sandy Leon making some starts too.
1: I agree. I would say overall I think Vasquez is the number one or the safest to still be on this team and be the one who isn't traded. I'm not saying he's going to be the everyday catcher. I think the Red Sox will roll with two catchers and do some sort of platoon especially if it's Vasquez and Leon, which seems like the most likely option because the Red Sox really haven't been giving Swihart a chance to catch behind the plate. Um, they've tried him out in different positions, and a utility role just doesn't fit. There's no real room for him on this team. So I think Swihart is the odd man out. The only thing I could see potentially changing it and maybe making Leon the odd man out is if Swihart comes out and has a very good offensive spring because he is when each catcher reaches their potential, the best of the three offensively. And offense from a catcher is something that the Red Sox lacked last year. Vasquez and Leon are both very defensive-oriented, so if Swihart can come in and provide an offensive spark, maybe they do roll with Vasquez and Swihart instead of Vasquez and Leon. But I do agree with you. I think Swihart will most likely be the odd man out.
0: Yeah, since they haven't really utilized Swihart very well. And uh, Christian Vasquez is a guy that I expect – to be the starting catcher for the uh, Boston Red Sox, and Leon would also get a select number of starts too. When it comes to the catcher's position,
1: yes, definitely. The Red Sox are, are have really bought into that trend of the the personal catcher. So, I mean, you saw Leon and Vasquez each catch their specific guys. A lot of the pitchers like throwing to Leon, and they talk about catchers' ERA as that new fancy stat. And Leon, since the beginning of 2017 or something, has the lowest in the league. So. He, he's certainly done a phenomenal job with these pitchers, and it'll be interesting to see. That is really one of the only position battles for the Red Sox this spring.
0: Yeah, and now with that being said, um, now that we kind of talked about the uh, the state of the Red Sox catching and all that, um, I heard that the Red Sox and Chris Sale are kind of talking about a contract extension, assuming that, you know, you already assumed that Chris L is going to be your opening day starter when the Red Sox take on the Seattle Mariners. And and obviously, do you think the Red Sox are going to give Chris Hill a small extension?
1: Um, Yeah, I'm not sure about his, the length or size of the extension, but he's certainly proven to be one of the best pitchers in baseball over the past half decade. And, yeah, you maybe have the track record of, is that arm going to wear down? Is he going to need Tommy John surgery eventually just because all the innings he throws and the, the interesting mechanics he has in his delivery. But if, if you're the Red Sox, he has got to be one of your top priorities for extensions along with a guy like Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts is obviously the most valuable player to this team, but Chris sale. It has been invaluable as an ace, something that the Red Sox have been lacking since John Lester left however many years back, and they need Chris Sale to anchor this rotation into the future because, really, they we talked about They don't have too many great pitching prospects, or even if they do, there's not any sure thing in terms of minor league pitching prospects. So you, you need to keep him locked down for the foreseeable future.
0: Yeah, him and also David Price.
1: Yeah, David Price has... He opted into his deal, so he'll be with the Red Sox for another four years. Which I'm—I mean, I'm fine with everybody. Everybody likes him now, so hopefully he can keep things up.
0: And also Porcello as your third man starting in the rotation.
1: Yeah, Porcello is the third guy. I think this will, unless he takes a very team-friendly deal next year. I think this will be his last year in Boston because they signed Evaldi to the extension, having Evaldi and Porcello can be a bit redundant at a point. They're similar types of pitchers. Obviously, Ivaldi's known for his blazing fastball, and Porcello's known for his, his breaking balls and stuff like that. But they're both the type of workhorses that'll go out and give you seven innings, maybe give up two, three runs, give you a chance to win every single game. And Porcello, at maybe 12 to 15 a year in the future for three or four more years, probably isn't worth it for the Red Sox financially. So I think this will be his last year with the Red Sox especially after the extension for Evaldi.
0: Yeah, and a a guy who I think is going to break out to be a very good piece in this rotation is Eduardo Rodriguez.
1: Yes, Rodriguez has certainly been – he's shown flashes of potential. And then he gets hurt and he never looks quite the same. But when he's on, he's on. He can be a phenomenal pitcher in this league, and it's just a matter of bringing everything together and being fully healthy for a season – He's one of the, I like that you bring him up. He's one of the key players to watch on this team because him having a good season solidifies this rotation.
0: Yeah, Eduardo Rodriguez didn't have a potential to begin when he debuted in 2015, but he's a guy that is, is, is going to show that he's going to want to get better and better each year.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and I'm excited to see what this season holds for him.
0: Yeah, and uh, also let's let's also dive into other contract priorities for the Red Sox. I think along with Chris Sale, I think the Red Sox they're definitely gonna do their do everything in their in their power once they sign of all contracts off the books, and that they will use that money to keep Bradley Benintendi and also Xander Bogarts.
1: Yeah, I think it's gonna come down to priorities. You're gonna have those money that money coming off the books pretty soon. Ruznake has Theo, you have him for this year and next year. That's going to be $14 million off the books. And then after this year, you'll have Pablo Sandoval's dead salary mostly off the books. So things things will start to pick up and you'll start to free up some money. But now, like you mentioned, these guys are coming near free agency. Bogarts is going to be a free agent next season. Bradley in two years. And then you got a few more years for Mookie and Benny and Devers are a little ways off. But – you're going to have to start thinking about which guys are going to be getting these extensions. And it's going to be tough to keep all of them as much as I want to keep the whole band together. I'm not going to delude myself into thinking that they're just going to sign all these guys and they're all going to take very team friendly deals. But I think next off season will be a key for the Red Sox because you know, you're going to need to lock up bets. You're going to lock up Ben attendee, but Coming up next offseason, you have Xander Bogarts, who's kind of been the forgotten man in this trio or quartet of killer bees. And maybe you can get him for a discount because he's been undervalued a little bit. And Bradley, I think, is the type of guy who... I could see Bradley being a guy that the Red Sox don't resign because he will be 30 years old, come free agency in two years. He He's a guy that I love watching. He's one of the best defenders I've ever seen. Best pure instincts in the outfield, maybe in MLB history. So he's certainly a phenomenal player, but they, they can't be overpaying for a guy who hits 230 and maybe 10 home runs, doesn't provide much offense and for months or weeks on end can look like an automatic out. And maybe one of your young guys comes up and a lot of it comes down to how these young guys develop in the minor leagues. If a guy like Jaron Duran or Nick Decker can take a spot in two or three years or even if they move Tristan Cassis to the outfield then Bradley may be the guy who becomes expendable. Bogarts is the key for me because I feel like if you're the Red Sox, you're going to do everything in your power to keep Sale, to keep bets, to keep Ben Attendee. Bradley could go either way, but Bogarts is really the key piece because you haven't really heard much talk of an extension with him, and he's going to be a free agent in October next year. So his is the most interesting case, I'd say. I think for
0: sure the Red Sox are going to keep Mookie Betts. There is no way that they're going to lose Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts, since David Ortiz left, he is by far their most valuable player on that team right now with Dustin Pedroia, who I think Pedroia is going to have a tremendous comeback
1: season. I think he's going to have a good comeback season too. Hopefully he can just stay healthy and really solidify that second base position. And it's good that the Red Sox do have this depth with Eduardo Nunez and with... Brock Holt in case as insurance policies to portray. but overall I think he's going to have a good season and I'm I'm rooting for him he's always been one of my, my favorite players and I also
0: said something that I do believe that the Boston Red Sox will keep Mookie Betts around for a long time
1: yeah I think they'll do everything in their power to do that it just depends what he's looking for in terms of a contract I think the Red Sox are going to give him whatever he wants and I think he wants to be here I think the talk of him maybe not wanting to be here is way overblown so I don't think there's going to be a problem getting Mookie to sign an extension it may not happen right now just because he's betting on himself to be an MVP the next two three years and then get an even bigger deal so I don't take the lack of an extension as a sign that he doesn't want to be here I take it as a yeah I'm going to sign with the Red Sox I'm just going to wait two years until I'm even better and they're going to pay me more
0: yeah, and then now we'll talk about dumb, the dumbest offseason move for the Red Sox is losing Joe Kelly. And the biggest offseason move for the Red Sox this offseason was keeping Evaldi and keeping Steve Pierce.
1: Yeah, for me, the, it has a potential to be a dumb move. I know the Red Sox didn't really do a ton this offseason, so there's not that much to choose from. But it, it can be said that doing nothing to address the bullpen, whether that is, like you said, losing Joe Kelly, potentially losing Craig Kimbrell, or not going after a guy like Zach Britton or Adam Adovino or Andrew Miller. Guys who the Red Sox probably should have been in on. But they, they didn't go out and try to get those guys. So I'm not going to say it's a, a dumb move yet. But it has the potential to be the dumbest of any of the moves they made. With real, no real proven guys coming out of that bullpen for a World Series contender. And the best move, signing of uh to the four-year deal. I think it's a great move. He's 29. He's one of the younger free agents, so you're still going to get him for the rest of his pride, basically. You got him to a pretty team-friendly deal, and I know people have seen the Tommy John surgeries as a concern, but from my perspective, the kids had two Tommy John surgeries. He still throws 99 miles an hour. I don't know if it's even physiologically possible to have three, so I don't know if it should be a concern to have a third one, but I've never heard of anyone having three, so the arm should be structurally sound by now. Yeah, Nathan Evaldi. I kind of knew,
0: saw him play when he was a member of the Dodgers. I think he's a guy that coming off of two Tommy John surgeries is a guy that throws hard, hits his fastball at like triple digits, and and I think he's going to be a key piece to this Red Sox rotation. I, although there's people that have said that he has closer type stuff.
1: Yeah, I don't see that happening. I think he's proven too valuable as a starter. Maybe he can fill in that closer role at times I think that's more born out of what he did in game three or game four last year against the no game three was game three his heroics pitching all those innings out of the bullpen I think that's what sparked that conversation I also think that moment is the reason he's still with the Red Sox that was his defining moment he became a hero here and an easy choice to bring back
0: yeah and I think I think heading into the second year of the Alex Cora era in Boston. I think when it comes to the Red Sox for me, I think Alex Cora has done a much better job. And I think I like him better as the Red Sox manager than John Farrell.
1: Yes. I think Farrell, no doubt about it, did a phenomenal job with this team. He won the world series in 2013, but when they got rid of him, things just seemed to stagnate. They were literally the same team. They won 93 games, won the AL East two years in a row and got creamed in the first round of the playoffs. So there was really nothing building for this team and Cora was the right change of leadership not saying Farrell was a bad manager I think he was very good I think Cora was the manager that this type of team needed and it was it was exemplified this past season on and off the field I think he is a phenomenal manager he still had his struggles at times with in-game managing but he holds these players accountable he seems like a fun-loving guy too so he, he really gives you the best of both worlds and The players seem to respond to his motivation. Yeah,
0: they always. I think. I think with Alex Cora, they. He's a good motivator, and I know he was good friends with Dave Roberts because Alex Cora used to play for the Dodgers. And I do think not. Alex Cora wasn't that good of a player. I think he's a good manager and a coach.
1: Yes, absolutely. I think Cora is a phenomenal manager so far and i'm excited to see what the future holds for him. i think he'll be the red sox manager for a long time
0: yeah especially it's not easy for any red sox manager to win the world series in their first year with the club it happened with terry francona it happened with john Farrell, and just last season it happened with alex cara
1: yeah definitely and it'll be interesting to see how this season plays out because you know that you, in all likelihood you're not going to repeat the success of last season given that it was arguably the best team in baseball history, or not baseball history, in Red Sox history, winning 108 games and cruising to the World Series, basically. So once the Red Sox are dealt with a little bit of adversity this season, which I don't doubt they will be, it'll be interesting to see how he responds to that, because it was all all held constant, a very easy sailing season for the Red Sox last year. I
0: think... Um, I think the Boston Red Sox will be, will still be the favorite. I think they're going to win the, I think they're going to win the American League East again, the Boston Red Sox. I think even though what the Yankees did this offseason in improving their bullpen, I still think the Red Sox are still going to win the AL West, the AL East, I mean, sorry.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think they, I, they're still the favorite in my mind. Um, but, uh, can't offset what the Yankees did this offseason, picked up some good relievers and signed Aaron Hicks to an extension today. So I think the gap has closed, but at the same time, the Red Sox are still on top.
0: Yeah, they, they'll still have a pretty solid bullpen. They got a good rotation. And when it comes to their lineup, they they have a very, very good lineup with elite players and a, and a team that doesn't rely on the home run ball a lot.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: They all, And I think the Dodgers, with what their issue, I think with the Dodgers, I think they're going to improve on – not not relying on the home run ball a lot and just get those base hits and just get on base
1: yeah it's really invaluable if you can if you can just get those little thousand cuts everywhere hit here or hit there working counts getting starters out of games and then who knows if you do go to the long ball you have guys on base to to score them so it it's certainly a good good method
0: With that being said, I'll tell you my lineup for the Dodgers, and then I'll tell you my lineup for your Red Sox. So, first, the Dodgers. So, I have Alex Verdugo leading off and playing left field. Then I have Corey Seager batting second and playing shortstop. Then Justin Turner hitting third and playing third base. Then Max Muncy hitting fourth at first base. A.J. Pollock hitting fifth. Then Cody Bellinger hitting sixth. Then Russell Martin batting seventh and doing the catching with Kike Hernandez batting eighth and doing the catching. And on days that Austin Bartz, Austin Barnes starts then Kike moves up to the 7 hole with Austin Barnes to the 8 hole.
1: Mm-hmm. I like it.
0: So that's my lineup for the Dodgers in 2019. And I don't and then I don't have Jock Peterson and Chris Taylor in the lineup because with Jock Peterson like we talked about earlier in the show, Jock Peterson's a one-dimensional player. Chris Taylor, I see a guy that's just plugging him in anywhere in the lineup because he struck out a lot last year. And with Kike breakout season last year, with his bat and hitting homers. I do think Kike has earned the right to be an everyday player for the Dodgers, especially at second base.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I mean, that that's good depth to have if you've got a guy like Chris Taylor and Jack Peterson coming off your bench.
0: And, and do you agree with me about Kike being the everyday second baseman for the Dodgers since of the progress he made last year?
1: Yeah, I thought he was, he was a great player for the Dodgers. I think he, he does take over for Chris Taylor at second.
0: And, and, and then I do have Alex Verdugo leading off, in which you would agree with me on that.
1: Yeah, I, I like that move. I, if he is, I don't know where he's at with the Dodgers, if he's going to be an opening day player for this team as a starter. But I could see him, if he is a starter, being the leadoff hitter. He is going to be a starter for opening day because I saw
0: him in the, in the first two games of the Dodgers when they were, they were televised a guy that really gets RBIs, and he got two RBIs. He got, he got an RBI yesterday, and he's off to a good start this spring. And Corey Seager is a guy that I think he's going to be an MVP on, in the National League this year. And I also have breakout players for the Dodgers and Red Sox. I predicted it would be Alex Verdugo, Julio Arias, and Walker Bueller. And on the Red Sox, my breakout player is Rafael Devers this year.
1: Yeah, I, I think, as, as we talked about earlier, he's, he's going to have a good season this year. And for me, my Red Sox lineup, I would probably go with Cora said he's going to try to not have Mookie lead off this year, so I think they'll have Benatendi lead off. Maybe Bogart second, as far as the opening day lineup goes. Betts third. JD fourth. Devers fifth. um, Pedroia sixth. Just while he gets healthy, I could see him maybe switching with Xander later on in the season, moving back into that two-hole. Moreland at seventh. And then Eighth, probably the catcher, and ninth, Jackie Bradley, because he seemed to play some of his best ball hitting out of the nine hole.
0: And you think the eighth hitter will be Vasquez?
1: I think so. I mean, it depends. Opening day, I could say Leon starting because he catches Chris Sale usually, and Chris Sale will be starting. So I could see it being Leon, but I think for the first stretch of the season, the catcher will bat out of the eighth hole, whoever that may be. I think they're going to do that split 50-50 just about.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I'll tell you my lineup for the Boston Red Sox. So um, I have uh, Pedroia leading off because I think he's the anchor of this team when healthy. And then I have Ben Antony batting second. And then I have uh, Mookie Betts sitting third. And then uh, Xander Bogart sitting fourth. J.D. Martinez is a five hitter because a five hitter is supposed to produce runs. And J.D. Martinez is kind of a guy that does produce runs. So that's why I have him in the five hole. And then Rafael Devers hits sixth and does the catch and plays third base. Batting seventh will be Mitch Marlin. Batting eighth will be Christian Vasquez. And batting ninth is Jackie Bradley Jr.
1: Okay. I like it. Pretty, pretty similar. I, I'd like to see Pedroia back up into that one or two spot come the middle of the season. I'm just not sure I see it opening day yet just because I don't know where his health's at.
0: The reason why I have Lee in off is because he's the uh, veteran of this team. And uh, I know Alex Corr doesn't want is trying hard to not put Mookie Betts into the leadoff spot. The reason why I have part of the three of the killer bees these two, three, four is because they're key. And I think Bogarts is a good cleanup hitter, a guy that can get on base for J.D. to bat fifth, and then J.D. could just drive him home from first because JD's a run producer.
1: Mm-hmm. And I, I would like to see a guy like Xander Bogarts, wherever it is in the order, bat in front of JD because he's been a guy who has been the forgotten man but can be a power hitter can obviously hit for average probably should be a career over 300 hitter when it's all said and done so certainly a phenomenal player and a guy who can get on base for JD yeah that's
0: why I think JD Martinez is going to bat fifth in this in this lineup because with JD Martinez he's a guy that doesn't have speed But a guy can hit and get the job done and and drive home runners from first base because he can use the green monster for it. That's what a five-hitter does. A lot of people may think having J.D. batting fifth is dumb. (coughs) But I I like J.D. batting fifth is because a five-hitter is supposed to produce you runs. The reason why I have A.J. Pollock batting fifth in the Dodgers lineup.
1: Mm -hmm. Definitely. No, I like it. I wouldn't be upset if that was the opening day lineup at all.
0: You kind of agree with me about what the Dodgers opening day lineup would look like?
1: I do agree for the most part, yeah.
0: Okay, I'm just asking, just asking now, so uh, with that being said, um, without, without being set, with that being said, a question for the day on our MLB segment is, do you think both my Dodgers and your Red Sox will meet in the World Series for a second year in a row? I believe that should happen.
1: I'll say this. I think the Red Sox and the Dodgers are still the two most talented teams in the league. I'm going to say, I would lean toward no. Nothing against the Red Sox or the Dodgers, but it's just so tough to get back there if you're the Dodgers three years in a row or if you're the Red Sox even, even two years in a row and other teams have beefed up around them. I think the Dodgers do have a little easier of a path to get back to the World Series. The Red Sox obviously have to deal with the Yankees and the Astros and the Cleveland. So it, it'll be interesting. I don't know if my Red Sox will hold up their end of the bargain. I would love to see it again. And I'm not going to count it out, but I would lean toward no just because of how difficult it is to get back there. I believe that those
0: two teams will meet again because even though the Dodgers and Red Sox played last year, and then I thought losing in five was unacceptable. I want, I want, to, I want these two teams to meet again so that we can go, we could play until seven games.
1: Oh yeah, I, I would certainly would love to see that it
0: because I thought last year was, I thought that, I thought that game four of of last year's World Series was a game that the Dodgers should have won.
1: Yeah, it, it's a game that the Dodgers needed to, needed to have. And that was really – you thought that was going to be the swing of the series in the Dodgers' favor, but it ended up being the swing back in the, in the Red Sox' favor.
0: Yeah, that's why I, th- I, that's why I want these two teams to meet again in the World Series because Dave Roberts and Alex Cora are very good friends. And I think these two could actually meet again. And I think the Dodgers could definitely get revenge on those Red Sox.
1: Yeah, no, World I...
0: and I know that they're going to be playing again in the regular season in Fenway Park for a three-game weekend series in Boston. Yeah, but I'm,
1: I'm, looking I'm looking forward, looking forward to, forward to that.
0: To the uh, schedule, if you know what I mean.
1: Oh yeah, definitely.
0: That's not until after the All Star break when the Dodgers go to Boston. I'm looking forward to seeing those teams play. These two teams play again in a World Series rematch in July.
1: Oh yeah, I'm I'm very excited for it.
0: A World Series rematch in Fenway and. Uh, I, and I and I think the weather will be a lot better for the in the Dodgers' favor since it's going to be nice and humid and hot and sunny at Fenway Park.
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely.
0: But, and the Red Sox are very good at playing on in in like October games when the temperature is in the in the it, when it's below forty degrees.
1: Oh yeah, we are uh we are very used to that. Uh can't wait for April when they're all out in their long sleeve shirts and turtlenecks playing in uh rainy, drizzly, thirty weather baseball.
0: Yeah, and I think when the Red Sox have their home opener, expect to see the new see our New England Patriots like Tom Brady throw off the ceremonial first pitch in the Boston Red Sox home opener.
1: I think so. I think the these Boston teams have all been very closely linked in the in the previous few decades. So I, I would not doubt seeing that.
0: I think, I think it's going to be Tom Brady and Julian Edelman that will throw out the ceremonial first pitch in the Boston Red Sox home opener.
1: I like it. And, and you have even more of a connection this year because both teams did beat LA. So, so that's why I see, and I, and I think we'll catch them in the ceremonial
0: first pitch. I see Mookie Betts catching Tom Brady and I see Steve Pierce catching Julian Edelman.
1: I think so. I like that best player to best player. And, uh, playoff hero to playoff hero.
0: That's what I see when, whenever that may be when the Red Sox home opener is, you know when that is? Because the Red Sox start on the road in Seattle where the stadium is indoors with a retractable roof. And it's a good thing Major League Baseball didn't make the Red Sox start on that week, on that first weekend of the regular season in March because it's going to be cold there. But you know when the home opener of the Boston Red Sox is?
1: I'm not sure the exact day, but I believe it's like, 10 days after opening day because they have a 10 or 11 game road trip to be in the season. So I'm thinking it's probably around the 8th or the 9th.
0: I, I, I just saw the schedule. The Red Sox begin their home schedule with the Toronto Blue Jays.
1: Okay. And what day is that?
0: Tuesday, uh, Tuesday, uh, April 9th after the Red Sox play the Mariners, then the Athletics, and then the Diamondbacks.
1: Yeah. Tough road trip to kick off the season for the Red Sox. You have to, Go out west, but I guess it's a good thing to get those out of the way early.
0: Yeah, and I do believe that when we are on air again to talk about Opening Day, we'll preview the four-game series when the Dodgers play the Diamondbacks, and when the when your Boston Red Sox take on the uh, Seattle Mariners. Absolutely. So, with that being said, here um, when we talk, when that's why i that's why I predicted that I think Brady and Edelman will throw out the first pit, the ceremonial first pitch when the Red Sox begin the 2019 season at home with the Toronto Blue Jays.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I like when it. They raise I, I the banner, that.
0: and and then uh, that's the day when they'll raise the banner. And then, obviously, after that, then they'll have the ring ceremony and all that. And uh, I think it's going to be a great season for both teams coming up. And with that being said, um, let's talk about our official predictions at the 2019 MLB Awards. So, my final draft of it is, For Rookie of the Year, I have Fernando Tatis Jr. and Vlad Jr. For the Managers of the Year, I have Dave Roberts and Kevin Cash. And the Cy Young Awards will go to Clayton Kershaw and Corey Kluber. And the AL and MVP Awards will go to Corey Seager and uh, Alex
1: Bregman. Okay. I like it. So, for me, I will go with Rookie of the Year. I agree with you, Tatis and Vlad Jr. MVP – I like Bregman. He's been a guy that I've been very high on. And I'll go well off the board for my, for my NL MVP. I'll go with uh, Ronald Acuna or Ozzy Alves, one of the two young studs from the Braves. I think they really burst onto the scene last year, and one or both of them will take the next step this year. Uh, as far as Cy Young goes, I could see another Met winning it, maybe DeGrom again, but I'll, I'll go with Syndergaard just for some variety. Maybe Chris Sale picks up his first Cy Young in the American League for the Red Sox after coming so close for so many years. And then manager of the year, I will go with Kevin Cash, uh, like you said, um, from the Tampa Bay Rays, just because I think they will be that fifth team. They'll kind of be in a similar role to the A's as last year. And in the National League, a guy that I like is Mike Mike Schilt from the St. Louis yeah. Cardinals. They're a team that... I'm very high on coming into the season. I thought he did a good job once he took over midway through for Mike Matheny last year, and I think they'll only continue to move forward.
0: Yeah, especially when they got Paul Goldschmidt. And speaking of the National League Central, I have the Cardinals winning the division, and the two wild card teams will be coming out from that division. I think the Cubs will host the wild card game, and they'll play the Milwaukee Brewers.
1: Yeah, I think you're going to get definitely a wild card team, and I certainly could see all three of those teams making it. I, I could also see it team from the NL East, like the Mets or the Phillies or the Braves get in, whichever one of them doesn't win the division, but I do agree with you. I think the NL Central will be a very strong division this year, and they'll definitely come away with a wild card. I feel like the NL West is going to be the Dodgers and everybody else, pretty much, so I don't think they'll end up with a wild card, so it's really going to come down to the East and the Central for the wild card spots.
0: The East is going to be the Braves division to lose, so I still favor the Atlanta Braves winning the uh, National League East, because because I was told that this Atlanta Braves team coming into this season is going to play even better than they did last year. Because with the Braves, you said Acuna is going to make that next step. Albies is going to make that next step. Swanson's yet get to hit his ceiling. And I do think when it comes to their starting pitchers, Julio Tehran is still a pitcher I like, but I'm really liking Mike Fulton-Evich.
1: Yeah, I love him. And I like Sean Newcomb too. Newcomb's a... A local kid from Massachusetts, and he had a good season last year. So, I'll see if he can build upon that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, for sure, on that. So, now we talked about the opening day lineups for the Dodgers, and then let's talk about our top 10 teams that we're looking forward to seeing other than the Dodgers and Red Sox. So, with my list, I'll start with me. Uh, The first team I'm looking forward to seeing in 2019, and I'm very high on, is the San Diego Padres, although they're not going to keep up with the Dodgers. I think they're a team with – Manny Machado, who's my favorite slugger in baseball. I think they're a team that's going to definitely be on the rise this year. The other team I'm looking forward to seeing, my second team I'm looking forward to seeing, is the uh, Cincinnati Reds with Yasiel Puig and Matt Camp and Alex Wood, and I think that's going to be a fun team to watch this year. The Reds are definitely on the rise. The third team I'm looking forward to seeing is the Philadelphia Phillies. I think they're going to they're going to keep they're going to add Bryce Harper for sure. They're going to improve on what they had last year. And the fourth team I'm looking forward to seeing is that a team that's going to be fun without Bryce Harper. It's the Washington Nationals. The Washington Nationals have pieces and have what it takes to be good and compete in this tough NL East. The fifth team I'm looking forward to seeing is the uh, Texas Rangers, Dodgers 2.0, because they have Chris Woodward as their manager. And they have a couple of guys I like, like Willie Calhoun, that used to be a Dodgers farmhand. Joey Gallo is my favorite player on the Rangers, along with Rugnat O'Dourne. The sixth team I'm looking forward to seeing is the uh Chicago White Sox, and that because of their young studs and all that, and the seventh team I'm looking forward to seeing is the uh is the Tampa Bay Rays because I think the Rays are going to pick up where they left off. They're a very good pitching team. The eighth team I'm looking forward to seeing is a team that I think is going to be very good this year, and that you said Mike Schultz done a very good job, and I think they're going to win the National League Centrals, the St Louis Cardinals. The ninth team I'm looking forward to seeing is the New York Yankees with their new pieces and their additions that they have. And the 10th team I'm looking forward to seeing is, of course, the defending world champion, Boston Red Sox, Dodgers 3.0. That
1: That's a good list, and it actually works out pretty well. I have my list here, and we only have we only have three teams in common, so we'll get a good variety of teams. And so I'll start with the three that I do have in common with you. One is Cincinnati, interesting moves, obviously getting the Dodgers players, and then I'm also interested to see how Sonny Gray rebounds after a tough stint with the Yankees. Cincinnati could be a similar environment to Oakland, smaller market where he thrives. I agree with you. I think the Cardinals won the offseason pretty much, um, aside from the teams that get Harper and Machado. But they made some quality additions. Paul Goldschmidt can be a dark horse MVP candidate. And they have the rotation could be a concern, but they have the stuff to win the division and get to the NLCS or the World Series, even beyond. The Rays, I agree with you, third team, I think they will be that fifth playoff team in the AL behind the core four of Cleveland, New York, Boston, and Houston. And then as far as the different teams go, um, a team that I don't think, two teams that I don't think are going to make much noise but that I'm still interested in different developments with them. One is the Pittsburgh Pirates, specifically with their top two starters. They got Jameson Talon and Chris Archer, both guys who have shown immense flashes of potential in the past and could put it together to become a dominant one-two. Hopefully, Archer rebounds from his struggles the previous couple seasons with Tampa. And Talon can be a dark horse Cy Young candidate and could finish in the top five this year. So he'd be a name to watch out for. Who is the name to watch
0: out for again? You said Um, Snell would be. Who is that again?
1: On the Pirates, Jameson Talon.
0: I predicted him as a breakout player when I talked about the Pittsburgh Pirates on my show. So continue on what you're saying about your top 10 teams that you're looking forward to seeing other than the Red Sox.
1: Yeah. So fifth team we got is American league version of a team that I don't think is going to go too far, but interesting core of players. You have Kansas city Royals, still some holdovers from the world series teams of a few years ago, like Alex Gordon, they've got like Whit Merrifield at second base who's one of the most underrated players in baseball. Pickup of a former Red Billy Hamilton. The rotation is a bit of a concern. You really only got Danny Duffy, but if you can develop some young guys, this could be a team that could finish around 500 this coming season. A sixth team, the Mets. I know we've talked about them before. I love the offseason moves they've made, and I think they're a serious contender to win the NL East. Colorado, I think they are going to regress from last season, but they're another team I'm looking forward to just because I want to see what happens with Nolan Arenado. He seems to be getting close to an extension, but is he going to want to sign a 10-year extension if this team starts to struggle and isn't going anywhere? I do think he'll ultimately stay there, but I want to see how that develop, develops in the Mile High City. And then we got San Francisco Giants, who I think are going to finish near the bottom of baseball, but they kind of got an interesting experiment. They They got some okay young guys. They have a lot of overpaid veterans like... Brandon Belt and Brandon Crawford, Evan Longoria, Madison Bumgarner, Buster Posey, uh, Jeff Smarja, and others like that. And I'm not saying that all of them are overpaid and washed up, but they certainly have the name brand talent. But if this was a team four years ago, they'd be really good. Now, not so sure. And then with my final, I got two teams left, I think. Uh, one is the Atlanta Braves, who we already alluded to. I won't go too deep into that, but I think with the Mets, they're going to challenge for the NL East. Like you said, it's theirs to lose. They're de- the defending champions in the NL East. And my last team is team that the Red Sox will be taking on on opening day is the Seattle Mariners. They seem to overhaul their roster every single year, but they do have a good young core with Malik Smith and Haniger, Kyle Seager, Edwin Encarnacion. The rotation. Could be a little concerning, but they have some good young pieces. So it's a team that looked like they were finally going to break out of that postseason slump last year, and they didn't. I think they're a little worse off this season than they were last season, but they can be that type of team that competes and will challenge for a wild-card spot into the final month of the season.
0: I'm not sure if they will. The Seattle Mariners are going to be a very disappointing team this year because I think the Seattle Mariners have the talent, but they're still – things that I think they need to work on. But when I, the reason I have the Washington Nationals on my list is because without Harper, they're going to be a fine team. Juan Soto is going to develop into a very good power hitter. And also Victor Robles, too, another good young piece that the Nationals are very high on and in their future.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it'll be interesting to see how that develops, especially if Harper does stay in the NL East with the Phillies. You're going to have a pretty loaded division outside of the Marlins.
0: Yeah, the worst teams in baseball this year will be the uh, Miami Marlins and the Baltimore Orioles.
1: Oh yeah, I would say those two, and I I would throw in the Detroit Tigers too. There's there's gonna be some some bottom cellar dwellers in the league this year.
0: I wouldn't put the Tigers down there because I think they're gonna be a little bit better than they were last year. I think the Kansas City Royals will be, I think the Kansas City Royals will be one of the worst teams in baseball this year again.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I could go either way with them. They were one of the teams I highlighted. I could see them having a poor season. Uh, it'll come down to the pitching, but if things go remotely well with the pitching, I think they do have the core of offensive players to maybe get to near 500, but it remains to be seen. I don't think they'll be the best team, um, even within a 50-mile radius of them, because they'll be playing with the Cardinals.
0: Yeah, that being said, my final MLB thought is, I'm, lo- I'm just glad baseball's back, get this season started. And I can't wait for uh, when opening day comes, when the Dodgers begin the season with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Obviously, you're very familiar with Tori Lovello during his time with the Boston Red Sox as the bench coach under John Farrell. And I think Tori Lovello, even I know he's a SoCal kid, and I think Tori Lovello has done a decent job managing this Diamondbacks team.
1: Yeah, definitely. And obviously, they, they've packed it in and seemed to go into a rebuilding mode. But Lavulo is a great manager, so... It'll, it remains to be seen how he will handle this team now that they've lost guys like Goldschmidt and Pollock.
0: And also expect Zach Granke to be the opening day starter when the Dodgers play the Diamondbacks. So it'll be Greinke-Kershaw game one, and then Robbie Ray and walker Bueller, game two.
1: <laughs> yeah, and for me, my final thought, same, same as you, just excited to have baseball back. And uh, I'm a little bummed that the Red Sox have the 10-game West Coast swing to begin the year because I really don't need to watch 10 straight games at 10 o'clock at night. I will get through it. Baseball is a love, and you will. I will make sacrifices for it. Yeah,
0: yeah. From you living in the East Coast and with the Red Sox playing uh, West Coast games to begin the year, it's okay. Exactly. You can can stay up in your dorm, watch the Red Sox on Nessa with Dave O'Brien, Dennis Eckersley, and Jerry Remy, and also my Dodgers got uh, a broadcaster from your Red Sox and Tim Nebret, who I think I'm looking, I'm kind of excited and interested in hearing and how his style is. But not, I know you've heard him when he was a Red Sox. It, with he was working for the Red Sox, and you think never to a, a was a good broadcaster for the Red Sox when you heard him on radio.
1: Yeah, I think he's a good broadcaster. I think you're getting a, a great guy and a great broadcaster. It's, it's interesting. I haven't. I never really got to listen to him too much as a Red Sox broadcaster because I was mostly watching the games on TV and not on not listening to them on radio. But I've actually heard Neverett recently, he's broadcast some college hockey games around here too. So I've heard him call college hockey. And what about
0: the trio? And I also heard that for the Red Sox on well, my final MLB thought is that Jerry, that Dennis Eckersley got a, got a contract extension to call more games for the Red Sox. I
1: I love that having him and Jerry in the booth together. Jerry is just a phenomenal person and I'm glad he's back. And Eck is a a fun guy to listen to. So I'm glad they have both of those guys going this season. And Eck can fill in if anything comes up with Remy. Yeah, Remy, I think, is going to cut
0: back on his workload because of him dealing with cancer. And uh, a lot of Red Sox fans might not like this broadcaster. I've also been familiar with this broadcaster since his days with the Dodgers. Steve Wine is a guy that could say some not nice things. But I think Steve Wine is a good broadcaster for you guys, too.
1: Oh, I, I love Lions. Outside of like when they were doing replacements for Remy while he was off the air, him and Eck were my two favorites. So I, I like Lions.
0: So Lions will not be in the booth for all the games.
1: No, no, but uh no, I agree with you though that I, I do like him.
0: And I remember Steve Lyons before because he used to work for the Dodgers on when he called games for them on the road when it was games not called by Ben Scully and sometimes when Ben Scully was sick from home games, and we needed somebody to fill in for Scully, he would pair with Charlie Steiner. So Steve Lines isn't that bad, but I knew that he's he's not a guy that sometimes would say not the nicest things in the world.
1: Yeah, but I appreciate his his honesty and his uh his baseball lingo. He was,
0: he was he didn't play for the Dodgers, but he used to play for the Red Sox.
1: Yes, he did.
0: But with that being said, we'll take a little break, and when we come back, uh, let's talk about let's dive into the NFL offseason.
1: Sounds good.